Well, thank you for leading us on. And Haley, if you're playing piano, it does sound great in here. Even with a little reverb, it just makes it sound louder like an auditorium. We've been looking at the topic of spiritual gifts. Last week we started, and I didn't quite get everything said that I wanted to say, so I said I'd come back to you. We're continuing that today. Now the temptations to say, oh, spiritual gifts, that's just something that churches get excited about, just trying to get me to sign up for something, trying to get me to serve. No, it's in the Bible. It is a scriptural teaching. And we want, of course we want you all to serve. Of course, as elders, Frank and I want you guys to exercise your spiritual gift. We want you to serve, not necessarily just to benefit the church, although that's definitely something the Bible calls us to do, but because you're serving the Lord. Because the Lord has called you to serve. Because you're glorifying God. That's the primary calling here for spiritual gifts. So just to review you from from where we've come from, I was saying that we needed to know more about spiritual gifts as a church, mainly because it is often mistaught. It is misused. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Oh, they were exercising their spiritual gifts in Corinth, but it was a mess. It was a mess because they weren't well taught on the gifts and they weren't checking their own pride and arrogance when they were exercising gifts. So we've already covered half of what I wanted to teach you on this. We've covered the first two points. Last week, I showed you that spiritual gifts proclaim the work of Christ. So in Ephesians 4, 7 through 10, we looked at how he's teaching us there that each believer has a spiritual gift. I had a question this week and somebody said, well, don't we have sort of a, an array of spiritual gifts? Don't we have sort of like a painting, is how John MacArthur describes it, of, of various colors and various spiritual gifts? And I said, that's true. We do. But the Bible lists out these nine that we're going to review quickly. And often we have shades of one or two or three. But usually there's one that we primarily are geared towards, one that we desire or other people are telling us about. Sometimes that's two or three. Doubtful you have all of them. I think Jesus probably was the only one who had all of them. Uh, But you probably do have more than one. But we're guaranteed at least one, Paul says. And, And those gifts proclaim the victory of Christ. They proclaim his victory over evil powers. They proclaim his victory over those powers. And he obtained a reward, a treasure. That's all the gifts that he gives us. Paul's using battle language there. He's saying that Jesus went out, he died on the cross, he defeated the evil powers, and he brought back a treasure. Not our salvation, that was purchased from God on the cross, but the gifts, the spiritual gifts, the ministry grace, Paul says. Grace to minister to your church was given to you by Christ because he won this victory. And so we're proclaiming all of that when we serve, when we use our gifts. And we're also proclaiming that Christ ascended. And so Paul quotes from the Old Testament there in Ephesians 4, 9 and 10. Then secondly, we spent some time on the spiritual gifts themselves. And I told you that they're to be studied and used in the church. They're to be studied and used in the church. They're not something that you just take a survey on when you join and then you sort of forget about it. No, there's something that you should continually study and see what Scripture teaches on these. In 1 Peter 4.10, he gave us two categories. He said there's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts. And so I went through those gifts and I categorized them under the speaking or the serving. 
And we talked briefly just about some of the gifts like prophecy and tongues that were active in the early church. They're not active today. The reason why, Paul says, they're the foundation, along with the prophets and the apostles, he says. Christ being the chief cornerstone. You don't lay a foundation twice. And now we went on to look at the nine remaining gifts. So I just want to review those real quickly, either because you weren't here or just need a a good refresher. And again, keep in mind, what am I really desirous of? What's my passion? What do I get excited about? What do other people tell me that I'm always talking about that's related to one of these gifts? The Lord wants us to serve. The Lord wants us to serve for Him and for His church. So you'll find these later if you want to read Ephesians 4 in Romans 12. The speaking gifts. Evangelist or evangelism. Yes, we're all called to evangelize, but this person who has this gift has an unusual ability to persuade lost people to place their trust in Christ. They're not only desirous of it, they're not only passionate about it, but they have an ability that others notice. Well, aren't we all called? Shouldn't we all be such evangelistic church that we're recognized all as an evangelist? Well, that would be great, but not all of us have this gift. The person who has this gift Loves lost people. They're always wanting to see them converted. And that's where they like to spend their time working on the gift that they have been given. Secondly, I mentioned the pastor shepherd. These are men who have been given this office gift. It's an office and a gift. And they're exercising pastoral care for the sheep. The sheep, the flock of God that's in the individual church. They pray, they teach, they lead, they protect the church where Christ is has made this man an under-shepherd. Christ is the chief shepherd. The elders are the under-shepherds of the church. There's no bishops. There's no popes. There's no archbishops. Nobody between you and Christ, but you do have elders leading the church under Christ. Number three, I mentioned the gift of teacher, teacher or teaching. Now, this is the ability to grasp it, to understand the word, Then to arrange what you've learned and present it to God's people in an organized way, in a logical, orderly way, so that people can learn from it. You've all heard teachers that do that well, and you've heard people trying to teach sometimes that don't do that well. That is the gift of teaching. The focus is on explaining the scripture. And often it's a more prominent gift. It's often something that most people want. They want to be able to teach the word. The problem is the Bible says you've got to be careful because you're held to a higher standard. You've got to understand it rightly and people's souls are at stake. You'll be held accountable, it says, for what you teach in James 3.1. I did a little more research on spiritual gifts today and what people believe. And uh, Barna Research, they always run these studies on the Christians in America. And... Uh, They show that one in four evangelicals, these are gospel, Bible-believing, professing Christians, one in four of them said they had the gift of teaching. That seems a bit high to me. I mean, it's the Lord's gift, so He can distribute it as He likes, but that's one in four people in every church think they have the gift of teaching. It's probably distributed with the nine gifts a little less than 25% on the teacher aspect. Exhortation was the fourth speaking gift. And this is coming alongside believers to encourage, to admonish, to correct, to comfort, and strengthen. When you need to be told what to do, when you need somebody just to say, 
Here's what the Bible says. Sometimes that's correction. Sometimes that's helping you turn around and go the right direction in your life. Uh, Sometimes that's just encouraging. Saying you can trust in the Lord. You can go to Him. You can pray to Him. You can rely on Him. But it's usually seen in the um, teaching aspect along with exhortation is seen in the preacher or pastor of the church. Elders have both of these gifts, or they should. The focus is on applying the scriptures. Not just explaining what they mean, but applying them. So that's number four, exhortation. Then I went through the different serving gifts. And these are the gifts that it's not going to be somebody up on the stage or behind the pulpit. It's not going to necessarily be someone who is prominent in the church as far as a mouthpiece for the word of God. This is somebody that's often serving behind the scenes. Or maybe you see them serving, but they'd rather not sit around and talk about serving. They just want to get busy serving. They love to help people. And these are the serving gifts in general. And then Paul says the gift of serving or helps is one of those serving gifts. Number five, it helps. Uh, this gift helps other believers wherever physical needs arise in connection with the church's ministry. So this isn't just loving your unbelieving neighbor. That's important. That's key. Jesus tells us to pray for them, to love them. But this is when you see a need in the church body. You want to fill it. You're one of the first people. You're like the folks who sign up first on the list to help somebody when they're in need. Email goes out and you're the first one to take care of it. This is the gift of helps or serving. Also, number six, giving. Aren't we all supposed to give? Yes, we are, just like evangelism. But this is the person who loves to give and loves to give a lot and studies where they can give and focuses where they can give and applies it there. The definition would be specialized ability to invest money and resources into spiritual endeavors so as to bring about the maximum results. There's a lot of Christians who just throw their money around. They throw it to every ministry that comes along. Oh, I've got something in the mail. Throw my money at that. But these folks, they think about it. They focus on it. They study it. They put their money where they think it will have maximum benefit. Number seven, leading and administering. Leading. Again, something that the elders must have. They have to lead the church. But other believers can have this gift as well. It's the ability to give administrative direction. And it helps a person steer the flock of God into channels that are most effective for ministry. You see a lot of leaders in the church and over different ministries. So we've listed seven already. Hopefully you're thinking once again, where am I called? And these don't match up necessarily with the signups that we have, but these gifts can be used all over the place, especially the serving ones with these signups. Number eight is mercy. Mercy, a directed care towards those in the church experiencing some kind of distress, misery, pain, anxiety. Someone who really needs mercy. They didn't do anything to earn it. They're not your best friend necessarily, but you see them in pain and you want to help them. You're not necessarily bringing the Bible to to read out of it or encourage them, although that's helpful. You just want to put your arm around them. You want to love them. You want to pray with them. You care for them. And number nine, the last one I listed was faith. Faith, not just saving faith. We should all have that if we're believers in Christ. Not just ongoing daily faith that I'm going to get up and serve the Lord. We should all have that if we're in Christ. This is what we might call an extraordinary faith. This is faith that... Uh, God has given a person to trust him in all the details of God's work 
even when the outcome seems uncertain. This is the person who says, no matter what happens, they can't be shaken. They have such strong faith, you never see them really sweat about anything in this life, in this world. If they were to talk to you, you might find out about some of those things. But normally, this is a person you look to for faith. So these are the spiritual gifts mentioned in Scripture. Any other gifts? Any other gifts? Either joking, I joked last week about the gift of shopping. Or, or sometimes people talk about natural abilities. Yes, God gives you natural abilities. He gives you the ability to work with your hands better than someone else, maybe. He gives you the ability to use your mind that's different than someone else. But these are natural abilities. Everybody's born with these kinds of things. Even the unbeliever has natural abilities. These nine are only found in true believers and they're exercised within the church. Here's going back to this Barna research study. They said among the gifts claim that are not among those deemed to be spiritual gifts in the passages of Scripture that teach about gifts were. So there's people listing gifts. They did a study. They said, list your spiritual gift. Here's some of the things people listed that aren't in the Bible. Sense of humor, singing, health. Man, I want the gift of health. Life, happiness. I mean, these are gifts given to us. We should thank the Lord for life and happiness and things like that. But these people are confused thinking that it's a spiritual gift. Patience, a job, a house, compromise, Premonition, creativity, and clairvoyance. So those are things that people listed as spiritual gifts. And we want to stick with the biblical list. Some scholars argue there are more than the nine here. Some will say that the prophetic gifts are still around. But we need to be really careful adding to the list, of course, in the Bible. So today we're picking up with number three. Number three, spiritual gifts must be sharpened and developed. They need to be sharpened and developed. You don't just wake up one day and you have your spiritual gift mastered or your spiritual gifts mastered. God doesn't just zap you the day you're saved, the moment you're saved, and you're the best Bible teacher that's ever existed. Even R.C. Sproul had to start somewhere. Even John MacArthur had to start somewhere. Steve Lawson had to preach his first sermon. John Piper had to preach his first sermon. And if you listen to it, they recorded it actually. It's nothing near where he preached near the end of his ministry. Once you have a spiritual gift, which all believers do, and you learn what it is, you need to be using it. And again, God doesn't zap you with a knowledge and a label on your forehead as to what your spiritual gift is. You've got to serve in the church and see where you're interested and see uh, the things that really go well for you and other people help you determine what your gifting might be. Now for this, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Where does it say in the Bible we ought to work on our spiritual gift? Sharpen the gift that we have. 1 Timothy 4. I mean, I think it's a logical thought, a logical consequence. If God's given you something, you want to get better at it? Right? That just makes sense. If someone's going to be preaching to you, you want them to get better over time, hopefully not worse. So we all kind of know that that's the case. But it is found in Scripture. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says here, Until I come, give attention to the public. The word's inserted there because all reading in ancient times was done publicly or out loud. Public reading of Scripture is the idea here. To exhortation and teaching. 
So if we just stop right there, we already see two gifts, don't we? What do we see? Well, not reading of Scripture. That's not a gift. Although some people can do it better than others. But exhortation and teaching. Those were two gifts already listed by Paul elsewhere. So he's saying Timothy has these gifts. And as an elder in the church in Ephesus, he ought to use them. You see, Paul sent Timothy. He left Timothy in Ephesus to fix problems. A lot of the letters in the, in the Bible by Paul, by the way, are written to correct issues in the church. There's a problem there. He sees it. So he writes a letter there. And so Timothy is placed there to help with some of these issues. The church is struggling. Likely they have unbiblical leaders. They have men appointed as elders that shouldn't be. And that has caused problems in the church. And so to correct this, Paul doesn't say, you know, just go in there and start swinging with your fists, right? Kick these guys out. No, he says, preach the word. And you do that by teaching and exhorting. Use these gifts. These are gifts that you've been given. Look at verse 14. He's a little concerned about Timothy. He thinks maybe Timothy's not going to use his spiritual gifts. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Now, some scholars will look and say prophetic utterance, this must be some sort of miraculous gift. But if you look at the verse right before it, he's saying, give attention to these three things and two of them are spiritual gifts. Then he mentions spiritual gift in the next verse. It's best to take these as connected. Don't neglect it, Timothy. You've been given these gifts by God when you were saved. And then publicly they were acknowledged through a prophetic word. The elders laid hands on Timothy. We still do that today when we install a new elder. But not only that, there was a prophetic word because prophecy was uh, among the churches in those days. And one of the elders probably uttered a prophecy from God about Timothy and these gifts. We don't know what it was. We can't find it anywhere else in Scripture. But it is uh, a prophetic word uttered there when he had the hands laid on him. And he's saying, look, remember that? Paul's, Paul's pulling out all the punches here and he's saying, look, you remember when we laid hands on you? And you remember when God spoke a word through one of these elders? And I was there? We know you have these spiritual gifts. You better be using them. And he's saying, don't neglect them. You see, in your Bible it says, don't neglect them. In other words, use them. The, the Greek word for neglect here, amaleo, means to have no care for. To be unconcerned, to pay no attention to. Don't be like that, he says. Don't just ignore your spiritual gifts. Don't neglect them. Don't set them aside. Don't think your job is just to show up each day and make sure people come to church. Come on, Timothy. I left you there for a reason. Make sure you use the tools God has given you. Exhort people from Scripture. Teach them from the Bible. That's your spiritual gift. Use it. Later, he'll say, preach the word in season, out of season. Same thing. Teaching and exhortation is preaching. You can have a spiritual gift and not use it, in other words. You can have a spiritual gift and be mentioned in the Bible, and there's still a danger of him not using it, isn't there? Use your spiritual gift. Use it to serve. Many Christians neglect using their spiritual gift. They just do. Some have been taught by experience that the paid staff do all, of, all the things around the church. Yeah, they don't need my spiritual gift. That's what we pay them for. And I told people when we started the church, 
There really wasn't a paid staff. Then there was a part-time paid staff, but there was still only one, one of me. And as we've grown, we've added some more staff. But come on. God is saying everyone is involved in this. It's not just the guy that gets the paycheck or the, the, the elders that are paid elders or administrative staff or whatever. Others think that since someone else is doing their spiritual gift already in the church, that they don't need to use it. You know, that person, when I think of serving, I think of that person. I think I have the gift of serving, but I'm not going to serve because they're already doing a great job. I don't see any limits in Scripture. You know, you can only have one person with this gift in the church. The bigger the church, the more all the gifts are needed. But even a small church, all the gifts are needed. Others just are being lazy, fearful. They would rather be a spectator than actually use their gifts. I heard Steve Lawson preaching on the spiritual gifts once. He said, every Christian has been saved to serve. Every Christian has been saved to serve. Christianity is not a spectator sport. And I think he nailed it. Why are you still here on this earth? Why are you still breathing right now to tell others about Christ and to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ? That's it. And of course, that leads to more growth, which we'll get to in a moment. Use the gift God has given you. Well, Paul's still concerned about it by 2 Timothy. So a couple of years later, Paul writes 2 Timothy. And there's still this reminder. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. 2 Timothy 1.6. Paul is still concerned that Timothy might be neglecting it. It's not likely Timothy always neglected these gifts. But there was always the concern by Paul that he not neglect them. That he not rest on his laurels. That he actually Put into practice what God has given him to use. 2 Timothy 1.6 For this reason, I remind you, to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Again, probably pointing back to what he said in 1 Timothy 4. The elders, Paul was an elder too, and he said, we laid hands on you. I was there. There was a prophetic word even uttered. And you need to kindle this gift afresh. The gift of what? Teaching and exhortation more than likely is what he's getting at. And if you look up this word for kindle afresh, it's one word in Greek, and it means to cause to begin again, which means maybe he's deficient a bit. Maybe he's lacking. Maybe he's not done what Paul called him to do in 1 Timothy. Kindle it afresh. Start the fire again, in other words. That's what kindling means. Start a fire. Start a fire again. And the verb tense is continuous. Begin again and again and keep on beginning again to use your gift. Don't stop. Now, we all have different seasons in life. We have times we can be more active in the church. Sometimes we're not as active. At times that we're sick, times that we move around. But in general, our life should be about always using the gifts God has given us to serve in the church, to serve the church. Timothy, a preacher in Ephesus, appointed by Paul. And Paul is still reminding him, continue exercising your spiritual gifts. Timothy, do everything in your power to use and enhance your gifts. Study. In other words, learn ways to make it more effective in the church. It's not just that he might not be using it in the pulpit, but there's probably times where he could use it in this home and with this person that he's not. Find ways to kindle afresh the gifts given to you. In other words, you need to develop your gift. You need to sharpen it. You need to be reminded by Scripture to use it, like we're doing here in this sermon. But you also need to make it more effective. Get better at it. Gain effectiveness with your gift. What is it? Well, it's, it's the gift of helps. Well, then you need to 
practice it and look for new opportunities to use it. Well, it's the gift of exhortation. Great. Join Frank's biblical counseling program, and he will provide you opportunities once you've been trained on how to exhort brothers and sisters in Christ through counseling. There are opportunities. And as time goes on, you'll learn how to use your gift better to serve the church. That's what Solomon was getting at. You remember when he talked about the axe being sharpened in Ecclesiastes 10, verse 10? If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. If you pull out an old rusty tool, it's not going to work as well. You've got to use it regularly. You've got to keep it in shape. And you've got to get more effective at it. This is good for the Lord. Sharpen the axe. Learn how to use your spiritual gift, first of all. Learn what the Bible says. Get help from your church on it. Serve. And then look for more effective ways to grow in that gift. Now, number four. The last one here of the four that we started last week. Spiritual gifts should be used to build up the church. They should be used to build up the church. What's the purpose of a spiritual gift? Well, it's to glorify God, to proclaim Christ. Yes, that's the the more vertical purpose, but there's also a horizontal purpose. To strengthen the church, to build up other believers, to edify the church. This is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. See, they had a big problem in Corinth. They were really prideful about their gifts. There was a lot of speaking gifts there. You don't hear much about the serving gifts in 1 Corinthians, but it's all in that case, they're bragging all about their speaking gifts. Prophecy, tongues, words of knowledge, utterances from God. And they're actually boastful and and saying, I'm better than you at this. I want to speak. And there's multiple people standing up and speaking at the same time. So Paul writes in this letter. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 address the issue. And 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts. He says, I know you're zealous. I know you're excited to use your gift. Seek to abound for the edification of the church. Edification means building up. This is an edifice. The building is an edifice. And it has been built at one time. And the church is like a building, Paul says. It's being built up. And you need to help strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to help build them up individually. And you need to help build the whole church up as you're doing that. The Corinthians were always boasting. Always fighting about how special they were. How great they were. You could see them even telling other people, you know, I've done this and this for this church. And I've done that. And look at my long list of all the things I've done over the years for this church. And Paul says, let all things be done for edification. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. They're all bragging. And he just says, what's the outcome then? You're doing all these different things, these miraculous gifts back then. And he says, when you assemble... Someone comes with a psalm, someone has a teaching, someone has a revelation, someone has a tongue, someone has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. It's really one of the critiques of the charismatic movement today, too. There's a lot of things in the charismatic movement that are focusing on one famous person, the televangelist or whatever, and and they're drawing attention to the man or the woman. And Paul says it's for the common good, it's for the church. 
even these nine gifts that are still with us today are for the church to build up one another. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving yourself. Does it say you're serving yourself? No, serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So let's trace out an argument that Paul makes for this. Go back to Ephesians 4. And we need to look here at exactly how Paul makes this argument. He's mainly talking about the speaking gifts here. Because he's just listed the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And so he goes through that to show how those office gifts, they're both a gift spiritually and an office that Christ gives the church, how they benefit, how they build up, how they edify the church. And it's great because we don't have to guess here how it works. He tells us, and Paul is very detailed in his letters. He gives you step by step. If you try to chart this out, even in English, on a sheet of paper and do a diagram or a block diagram, it's very much like a stair step. You take this step, which leads to this step, which leads to this step, and so on. So we're in Ephesians 4. And picking up in verse, I'll read verse 11 so you get the idea. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. So why? Why did he give those? And why does he continue to give the ones that are listed at the end there, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Why? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. So in 12, in verse 12, there's three little phrases. Do you see it there? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. There's three, and they're all connected. One flows into the other, which flows into the other. So the very first one tells us the purpose for which Christ gave these offices. Why did he give these gifts to the church? For the equipping of the saints. Equipping means you have the right tools. You're prepared. You're ready. You're trained. When people join the military, they don't just say, okay, glad you signed up. You're on the battlefield right now. There might be a time for that if we were in the middle of a war. But usually there's training. There's equipping. You need to learn how to use the tools of your trade. And he says that these gifts have been given to equip the saints. Who are the saints? All the people in church history with a cross on their clothing? Is that the little idols that you sometimes see in people's yards as you drive through a neighborhood? The little statues? No, the saints are the believers. Saints just means holy ones. It's just a Latin word for holy. The holy ones. Every believer is considered a holy one. Not per perfectly holy, but holy, declared holy by Christ. Because they're His. He bought them. He purchased them. And He says these pastors and teachers and even evangelists are equipping the believers. The members of the church, for example, each of you must be equipped. And who is doing that? Well, it's mainly the pastors and the teachers. It's one of their primary tasks. It's not enough to just say, well, I have a certain spiritual gift. Well, you need to be trained. I just went over how we need to study and we need to be trained on these gifts. And the main way that you're trained is through listening and applying the word of God in your own life and with your spiritual gift. You've got to be trained how to use these gifts effectively today in the church. Pastors and teachers have been given an evangelist for that. 
In other words, you've got to take part in that training. You've got to be here. You've got to be here regularly to hear the teaching, to hear the preaching, to be exhorted to grow, to learn what Christ has taught us, what he's told us. Be here. Be engaged. Be teachable. Some Christians are hard-headed, stubborn. You know, they'll come to church, but they don't always want to learn from it and apply it. Be, be teachable. Be, be planted in a body that will help you grow. It's one of the things I love about the men's Bible study, and I'm sure it's this way with the women's Bible study as well. But we're in there talking about 2 Samuel this week and how it applies to the life of a Christian man. And what we should do and what we should learn from the first chapter there in the Bible study. Be here, be engaged, be teachable. But he says we're equipped. The saints are being equipped. What? What for? So we can pat ourselves on the back? So we can go brag and boast? No, he says for the work of service. That's the NASB. If you have a different translation, it probably says for the work of ministry. Not the word ministry necessarily. You don't all get equipped to preach and proclaim the word. He's just using ministry like we use it or used to use it in English. The minister of defense in England. Ministry just means service. The ministry of the word means preaching. But ministry means service. And it comes from this previous idea of being equipped. You're equipped so you can do the work of ministry. The saints are equipped. Who does the work in the church? Well, you know, the pastor does the preaching and the guy who cleans the church. No, who does the whole work of the whole church? The body of Christ. If you're properly equipped and you're using your spiritual gift, then we're all doing the work that God has called us to do. The idea is in every member ministry. You know, one of the problems they had in the Middle Ages, and we'll, we'll come to this in my, if you're in my church history class, one of the problems they had in the Middle Ages with the Roman Catholic Church, there's a lot of problems, by the way, but one of them is they got away from this idea of every member ministry. And even today, they, they change up this verse and put the commas in weird places in English to try to back up what they believe. But they said, no, the clergy do everything. And you listen to what we say, and even if it's not scriptural, they said, you're going to listen to it. And this idea that every member should be in ministry of some sense, you don't hear it taught. They separated. The clergy are the ones who do the work. And there's a lot of churches today that are Protestant that believe that same thing. I better call my pastor because I just heard somebody needs some food. Somebody asked for prayer. Better call the elders. Well, that might be needed. What's the first thing you should do? Ask yourself if you can help with that situation. Well, somebody came up to me in church and said something strange. What'd you say? Did you rebuke them? Did you correct them? No, I just came and told you. No, every member ministry. Do the things that the Bible calls you to do. And if you need help with that, we're here for that. And if it's something that's a bigger issue, then please come tell us. But first, do your Christian duty. Use your spiritual gifts if it applies in that situation. Modern Western Christianity thinks, as I said earlier, that the pastoral staff should do all the work of ministry. But Paul's saying, The work of service is all the saints, the holy ones. And this text makes it very clear. There's no clergy versus laity. There's different spiritual giftings. And there's the office of elder and the office of deacon. But everybody is serving in the ministry of the church. This is what Jesus came to do, to serve others. You know, he could have showed up and said, I'm the son of God. All of you serve me. Did he do that? Is that in second hesitations in the Bible? Because I don't see it anywhere. Here's what John 12, 26 says. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. So there are people serving Jesus. But look at this. 
Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. How do we serve Jesus? By doing what he told us to do. He's not saying that people had to be his slaves in the sense of a physical slave. He's saying, spiritually, you're my slaves. You're my servants. I bought you. Now serve me and doing what I've said in Scripture. That's the idea. Sharing the Scriptures with others. Helping unbelievers see the gospel. Praying with others. Evangelizing others. Visiting the sick. Caring for widows and orphans. All of these are listed in Scripture. Even taking up an offering to help believers in need. Any kind of service or ministry. You don't have to sit back and say, well, that's not my spiritual gift to pray with this person. There's not a spiritual gift to prayer. We're all supposed to pray. Maybe if you have mercy, you're going to pray for them in a, in a different way. But let's all be part of ministry. Now, which of these are you actively doing today? Which of these gifts are you using? Think about it. As you hear this sermon, don't just take notes. I mean, I hope you are taking notes, but apply what you learn. So it's to equip the saints. That's what pastors and teachers are doing in the church for the work of service. And ultimately, it's to the building up of the body of Christ. What does it mean when everybody is involved? It means the church is built up stronger, more solid, more biblical. Every member is needed. Paul goes through this in, in 1 Corinthians. He says you can't cut off the hand and expect the body to work like it had a hand. You can't cut off different parts of the body the body parts don't need to be arguing with one another. We're all one body, and we ought to be serving one another. So what does it mean to build up the body of Christ? Well, it's a process of constructing. Again, he's using building language. We're building up the church, not the physical building, but spiritually speaking. We're helping people strengthen their faith, their Christian walk. Everyone in this church has a need. Maybe more than one need. Many of us had multiple, have multiple needs every week, every day. And if we're serving one another, we're helping to meet these needs. We're helping to serve and build up one another in the faith. We don't want the church to be left weak and ignorant. We want it to be built up into a great structure that glorifies God. We're all one chain. You know what they say about the weakest link in the chain, right? Something comes along and pulls on the chain. We need to all be strong together. And that happens through serving and using our gifts. And so he continues because that is the more horizontal. But now he's going to think more about the long run. How long should we be using our gifts? How long should the church be functioning like Paul says? Until we all attain. Do you see the word all there? And do you see the word until? Until tells us how long. We're to continue serving one another, building up the church. Until when? Everybody attains something. Just a few people? Just the people who know their Bible well. That's, that's who? No, everyone. All people. Until they all attain something. And the idea is reaching the goal ordained or set for man. Outside of Paul's writings, this word is used to speak of travelers arriving or reaching their destination. How long are we to be serving and building up one another? Until everybody reaches their destination. When is that? Well, when you die and go to see the Lord or when the Lord comes back, that's it. We're to continue serving and building up until then. And he continues, he, he says, to the unity of the faith. What is it we're trying to attain? What is it we're striving for? What's our destination? You don't want to start on a destination and not know the end point. Where are you going? To the unity of the faith. 
to attain a unity. In other words, in the complete knowledge of all that the Bible teaches. How long is that going to take? Is that next week? I'm just going to serve this month. Then I'm taking off the rest of my life. We haven't all attained that unity. And it's not the unity of your personal faith. It's the doctrines of Scripture, the Christian faith. We need to all be unified on what the Bible teaches. Now, we know in every little detail, there'll always be some that are disagreeing and, and groups that are not necessarily, necessarily unified. But the idea is the core doctrines of the faith. The things that really matter. The things on salvation and creation. Even the general things of the end times. This is not something that we need to be weak on. We need to be strong and built up on this. The objective faith of the gospel. You know how many churches disagree just on what the gospel is? With their members? They can't even decide what evangelism would even look like if they wanted to do it. The unity of the faith. And not only that, as if we could actually get all that done in a week. And the knowledge of the Son of God. See, we've gone from spiritual gifts to how they build up the church and edify it to how we continue doing that and build up the church and edify it over and over and continue working on it and continue growing all together to now he's telling us what we're growing in. Unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. How much do you know about the Son of God? And how long do you think it would take to all attain that kind of knowledge that we need? This is a lifelong journey. That's why you should be part of the church your whole life. Even if it's not this church and you move somewhere else. We need the church to help us with this. If you don't have all the spiritual gifts because only Jesus did, how are you going to fulfill all this by yourself? Not being part of a church? Sometimes people say, well, the church made me mad, so I'm never going back. Or the church is full of hypocrites, so I'm not going to join. I've heard people joke about, you know, well, you're a hypocrite too, so come join us and you'll be like us. I don't know if I would say that to somebody, but, you know, I'm sorry the church has hurt you is what I might tell that person. There's good churches and bad churches. You need to be part of a good church. And if there's not one, you need to drive till you find one. So they, they're doing this. And if you can't drive because it's too far, then you need to consider getting some people and planting one. We need to be learning about the unity of the faith and about the knowledge of the Son of God and then applying what we learn. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. We don't need to go buy all these strange books out there to learn about Christ when it's right here, he says, in the Bible. And he says, then we're shooting towards a mature man. Do you see that? To a mature man. The goal of the church is to be built up into biblical maturity. All of us together. The church as a whole. We don't just need one mature believer here. We don't just need two or five. We want everyone to be mature. Why do those elders keep encouraging me strongly sometimes to be involved in church ministries, to come and receive the teaching and to serve? Well, right here. We want everybody to be a mature believer in Christ. And we know that you're studying at home and praying at home and hopefully doing the things that you need to grow personally. But there's this idea of growing as a church as well. 
And last, the last part here, the last line, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So just in case you thought you could attain all those other things, now he says, just compare yourself to Christ. If you know how far you really need to excel to be like Christ, then just compare yourself to him. The fullness of Christ. His stature. The stature which belongs to him. Stature we often think of as height and, and weight and such, but this is the spiritual stature. Measure yourself against Jesus. Because there's people who say, well, you know, I'm, I'm very knowledgeable. I'm, I know more than most Christians. Paul says, fine. Compare yourself to Jesus, though. That's when you can stop when you're measured up to the fullness of Christ. Which is when? Never. Never. So there'll even be growth in heaven as far as learning more and more about the Lord. Isn't this wonderful to see this in action? If you've been here, if you've been around a while, you've seen hopefully this in action. I mean, we could always do better in some areas and always encourage people to do more in some areas. Build them up. But that's part of it too, right? If we see a weakness in the church, we need to step in and serve there. You know, let's not complain. Let's, let's be the first person. In fact, Frank and I have this, this thing that a lot of pastors do. If you're the one who has this great ministry idea, what are we going to say, Frank? And you sound like the person to lead that new ministry. Now, sometimes that's in jest, but most of the time it's real. I mean, if you're passionate about it, go and do it. If you see a weakness, that, that something that, you know, it's not a major thing that we've missed, but something that would be great to add, then go and do it, and let's see how it turns out. Well, what is going to be the result of that? We don't even have time to go into this, but it's for a different sermon. Look at 14, though, through 16. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. As a result. So we're looking long-term. Our goal is long-term. We're looking to see how we can measure up to the fullness of Christ which is a lifelong goal. But while we're doing that, as a result in the church, we're building one another up and we're no longer tossed here and there. No longer like children. Thrown around by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. My kids sometimes will believe anything. Your kids will believe anything sometimes. They're always telling us this and that happened. We go outside to look. Didn't even happen that way. They'll believe any story you tell them, the younger they are. They're gullible. And Paul says there's Christians who are too gullible. But when the church is being built up, we all help one another and we're not tossed around by every wind of doctrine. There's a lot of bad teaching. How do you help your brother and sister in Christ not drift into that? You serve. Well, I'm not a teacher of the. Well, you serve, Paul says. You equip the whole body, you build up the church. And the result of that is people aren't thrown around by the trickery of men, by craftiness. That's the devil scheming to get false teaching into the church. But speaking the truth in love, he says, we're to grow up in all respects. Again, growth, all respects into him who is the head, even Christ. And then he continues. Now he's talking about a body. So he's been talking about a building. Now he's saying the whole body is growing. And it's fitted and held together by every joint, body parts here. Every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. It causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Not some of the parts. Each individual part is working to cause the body to grow. That's the result. We're helping our brothers and sisters out. By serving them. By, by, by just doing hospitality. Or just greeting. We're actually helping people to be more grounded in the church. We're helping new visitors in those cases to come in and feel welcome. The greeters, the ushers, everything, all of these ministries, all of these gifts, 
they're being used to plant people in the church and grow them. And they're less likely then, everyone's less likely to fall off into false teaching, to drift off into bad theology or bad living in their life. We need each other. The Lord saved you. He died on the cross for you. And if you turn from your sins, if you trusted in Him for salvation, He's planted you here. If you're staying with us for a while, He's planted you here to serve, to love, to serve one another. That's what we're called to do. So let's pray now that the Lord would give us His grace to do that. Lord, help us, please, to serve. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we have our own personal issues and problems. But help us to focus on others. Lord, that's one of the ways that you help us with our own issues is to put the focus on others. How can we serve them? How can we show our love for them? How can we build up the body? Lord, give us each a desire to use the gifting that you've given us. Give us a desire, O oh Lord, to serve the body of Christ and ultimately to serve the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Help us to realize that we've been bought with the price. We don't get to dictate the terms of that. We've already been paid for. We've already been bought. And now we're slaves of Christ and we want to do his will. We enjoy that. And so give us that burning in our hearts to serve him in whatever way, Lord, that would please you. Guide us in that as a church. Build us up. Help us to be one strong body here. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.